Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Exodus. We will be in chapter 18 this morning. Our text will be found, we'll be reading uh, verses 9 through verse 26. Exodus chapter 18, 9 through 26. I want to welcome every single one of you this morning to Big Woods Bible Church online. I appreciate and we have been praying that we as a church would demonstrate patience and we would show and share grace with one another. Uh, we have been planning, preparing, praying about moving forward. And we know that there is this idea of we're allowed to gather in groups of 25 officially. We've crunched the numbers. I want to be the first one to officially announce we will not be meeting and having 10, 12, 15 services on a Sunday. So we're going to tuck in at least for a little while. I know that we were in red. We are now in yellow. We're waiting for green. But then we don't really know. Maybe we'll go back to red again. Remember when you were kids playing red light, green light? That's kind of the world. Like red light. Greenland, like that's the world that we're living in at this moment, but it's okay. God is sovereign, God is in control, and we are praying that we would demonstrate patience and grace with one another. This is an amazing message, an amazing text for us to live by and learn from this morning. What I refer to as effective ministry equals shared ministry. I, I want us to key in on that one word, effective. I think there's a lot of ministry that goes on in this world, but we want to focus on effective ministry. We know that we've been called out. We have been set apart for a purpose, to exalt the name of Jesus, to edify the body of Christ, and to be faithful and responsible to stir the affections that we have in our hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's going to be our focus this morning. I just would ask first and foremost that we would bow our heads and pray. I am in desperate, I am in constant need of the Lord's help. Especially this morning, would you bow your heads and pray with me that the word would come alive as we look and listen this morning. Let's pray. Father, it is with grateful, grateful hearts that we are gathered, although, Lord, it's, it's not the way that we would want to do it. In your providence, that's what we are called to. And we would pray, Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would not be grumblers or complainers. Father, I pray that we would strive, as, as your word calls us, to be submissive to the ordained authorities, that we would be the best citizens that we can possibly be. Father, as well, I, I ask that we, as inevitably as we move forward, that we would demonstrate patience and grace. There's so many differing thoughts and different ideas and different opinions. And how the enemy would love, would love to cause a divisive spirit. Father, we just pray that you would give us a sense of oneness. Give us a sense, Lord, of a concern more for the other person than for ourselves. What we want, 
that we would live with the concern for you, that we'd live with eternity in mind. We would understand the decisions, the lessons that we learn. Impact many people forever and ever. I pray, Lord, that we would be truth tellers, that we would speak truth in love, that we would lead with the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that we would be reminded that although we have nothing in and of ourselves with you, we have everything. May we rest, be satisfied in that. Father, we just thank you so much for delightful news for the Varhalak family, the safe arrival of Abigail. What a gift, what a blessing. We thank you, Lord, for how you are growing this body in unique times, in unique ways. And I pray now as your word is open before us that you would be heard, that you would be the focus. I, I plead, please, Lord, give me the help and strength, the clarity of mind and mouth that I need so that everything that is done would be for your glory and for your glory alone. Lord, please open our eyes to see you and our ears to hear you. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful and matchless and majestic name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Now in this chapter that we're going to consider this morning, if, if, if we listen, we can learn three significant lessons of what I refer to our effective ministry through the example of this this one man Moses who have been following the the track of the Israelites who have been listening and leaning in intently to their leader Moses and in in points and times of frustration he shows what like all of us feel at times Yet God chooses to use an imperfect man. And we see, Lord, that in our first lesson, that Moses accepts wise counsel. And that's very important for all of us. The first lesson that we can learn from Moses is that he accepts wise counsel. Let's go back a little bit. The first time that we're introduced to this man, Jethro, is back in chapter 2 and verse 16. There's a man in Moses' life named Jethro. And in chapter 2, verse 16, he is referred to as the priest of Midian who had seven daughters. We know in God's providence that Moses married one of those daughters. Her name was Zipporah, and they had two sons. In chapter 3, verse 1, we're told that Moses was actually keeping the flock of his father-in-law. Moses was working for his father-in-law Jethro and he did that for 40 years while on the backside of the wilderness in Midian. Now I'm quite certain that Moses knew his father-in-law Jethro very, very well and Jethro knew Moses very well. Now here we are in chapter 18 and Jethro comes for a visit. And it is a beautiful, beautiful scene. It is a touching, heartfelt reunion. It is a hallmark made-for-TV moment. He arrives at the right time. Have you ever had someone arrive at the perfect moment 
to help you, to encourage you, to assist you. I, I remember the time we were, we were expecting our first son, our only son, our first child. Wendy was like 17 months pregnant, and we were driving home on Thanksgiving break, and we broke down on the side of the road in our little Reliant K car. I remember a man by the name of Daniel Cherico. I remember his name to this day. He said, it looks like you guys are in a little bit of a pickle. You guys need some help. I remember those moments when somebody arrives. Another time I was broke down on the side of the road with our son. Timmy McGarry shows up. You guys need some help? Yeah. I remember when I was broke down. And Ron Cook came alongside. You know, that's really what we have here where Moses is struggling in many ways. And someone arrives. It says in verse 7 that Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other of their welfare. After spending some time together listening to the story and hearing the details of God's miraculous rescue and redemption and provision and protection for the nation of Israel. Let's pick up the narrative with the words of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. We'll pick it up in Exodus chapter 18. I'll read verse 9 down through verse 12. Here's the setting. Here's the scene. Here's the moment we get to look into this morning. And Jethro rejoiced. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. In that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. And out of the hand of Pharaoh. And has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all of the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Do you know what this is here? This is a picture of salvation. I want you to think about this for a moment. Even in the midst of the harshness and the hardness of the wilderness. Even in the midst of the dryness and the deadness of the wilderness. Do you realize that lives are still being changed? And Jethro is an example where Jethro is a recent convert. Jethro is a new follower of Jehovah. You have to remember, he was what? He was a priest of Midian. He was a public figure. He was a religious leader of another faith. And so his conversion is big news. His conversion is a big deal. Thankfully, we know that he was, what, well-respected and well-received. Praise God, it is a wonderful family reunion. But we know that, what, just because daddy comes for a visit, 
Life doesn't necessarily stop. Moses still has work to do. Let's pick up the story. It's the next day. Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 and 14. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? It's just that one phrase that what Jethro watches. I like the scene here, but you have to pick up on the reality that there's really, there's a lot of potential tension here. Jethro comes for a visit, but Moses, what, he didn't know that, and so he didn't take the time off. He still has to go to the office. He still has to work. People are lined up all day, and Jethro, he's on vacay. He's here for a couple days just to visit with the fam, and so he's got nothing to do. He pours his coffee, he pulls up a lawn chair and he just sits and he just watches his son-in-law at work. Do you understand the potential for tension that exists here? So I, I can see in any one of us with a father-in-law can, can see what, that as Moses is working, he's kind of looking behind his back at dad. Like, hey, I got, a, I got a pretty big job here. I'm a pretty big deal. I have a lot of important things. You see, there's a series of complaints that are out there, and apparently I am the complaint department. You got to know, this is, this is just kind of awkward because the relationship between a father-in-law and a son-in-law is always very, very unique. You see, because, if you realize or not, a father-in-law apparently knows everything about everything. That is what I thought until I became a father-in-law. And I realized the truth that we actually know, we actually know very little about a lot of things. And the only reason that we know a little about a lot of things is because we have made a lot of mistakes in our past. I think that's what's happened here. I remember the time I was helping my father-in-law cut down a, a branch from a tree. And he was, he was his, his knee was bad and so he couldn't make it up the ladder and I want to be young and spry and, and impressive, and so I scamper to the, to the top of the ladder, and I very quickly hear that I'm now holding the saw the wrong way. And then as I begin to cut, I, I realize that, that I'm, I'm being instructed, I'm cutting the branch on the wrong angle. In this setting, this is kind of what is happening with Moses. And he can do one of two things. He can, one, he can get mad, or he can what? Or he can adjust the grip on his saw. 
He can get mad or he can listen. And we, we all know that, that wisdom, what? Wisdom comes from years. Wisdom comes from experience. Wisdom comes, what? Because of years of past mistakes and failures and fixes and rebuilds and redos. You know what we have here in this scene? Is we have wisdom on display. And we know that it's wisdom. We know that it's wisdom because wisdom is when you observe first and speak second. Jethro just asked two questions. Important questions. But he just asked two questions in verse 14. What, 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 what exactly is this thing that you are doing? And the second question is, why are you doing it alone? Moses, very, very, very easily, probably like most, very easily could have just gotten mad. Who are you, old man? I, I've, I've been legging it out here in the hot desert with these whining people. But yet, what Moses actually does here is that he listens. Wisdom begets wisdom. Remember that. Let's pick up the narrative in verses 17 and verse 18. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly Wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. If you write in your Bibles, I want you to underline, underscore this next phrase. You are not able to do it alone. You're not able to do it alone. Notice that Jethro didn't just tell Moses he was doing too much. He didn't just say, like, this is a whole dumb idea. But what he did is that he gave him, he offered much needed counsel. We'll see that he actually offers solutions and structure to correct the problem. And, and Jethro, like any good, godly, wise, older man, just wants to help his son-in-law, wants to help Moses why? Because you're going to wear yourself out. Then what good are you? The word translated wear out or, or phrase here in verse 18 of chapter 18 comes from the Hebrew term that means to be withered with exhaustion. Or, or to sink or drop down, to, to languish, to wither and fall. What, what good would it do for Moses if he were to work himself to death? What good would it do for Moses? What, what good would it do for all of the people for him to, to languish, to wither and drop? Thankfully, thankfully, we are reminded in this text when it comes to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us needs to remove ourselves from what? From the throne. When it comes to the work of the gospel, 
we are reminded what it is never good. It is never good. None of us are able to or should work alone. Lesson number one here is what we can learn. Moses accepts wise counsel. Number two, Moses adjusts a broken system. Moses adjusts a broken system. Verses 19 through verse 23. Now, now obey my voice. Oh, when father-in-law says obey my voice, there's, a, there's, there's just a shudder. But he means well. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, <clears throat> excuse me, look for able men from all the people. Look, look for men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, if you do this, God will direct you You'll be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. There's that one line. They will bear the burden with you. I think right there, I think it's very easy for us, and it's appropriate for us. It fits for us. To, to go what? To Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 that says what? There's a responsibility that we have to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This whole concept of ministry that Moses is involved in, there's lessons for you and I to learn here. Why? why? So that you will be able to endure. You see, wisdom is when you're able to make the necessary adjustments. In this case, the necessary adjustments that Moses was going to have to make was going to call him to give up certain areas of responsibilities and share the burden. Think this. Think delegate. Delegate, delegate, delegate. That's what Moses is going to have to do. That's what any leader has got to do. So this is not one person's ministry. This is all of our ministry. Definition of the word delegate here is to entrust a task or responsibility to another person. Typically one who is less senior than oneself send or authorize someone to do something as a representative. You see, it was virtually impossible. It was impossible for Moses, for one man, 
to listen to the problems, to settle the disagreements, to offer counsel literally to thousands upon thousands of people. It was a broken system, and it was heading nowhere. What? It's heading nowhere but to burn out. I've heard this phrase, oh, it's better to burn out than to rust out. That, that is such a lie from the pit of hell. You're still out. So, so pause on that for a moment. It was, this was a dangerous, dangerous, and a damaging situation. He needed the help. He needed the wisdom. And thankfully, God, in his grace, brought an older, wiser man with more experience to come alongside. What's interesting here is that this was not, it's not a responsibility to, to just delegate to anyone. There's no doubt here that there is to be careful attention given to who Moses was going to delegate, delegate to. So this is not just anyone's, but specifically in this particular context, it's men who are what? Qualified. I love this list here. Able men. It's the Hebrew word, Ha'il, it means men of faculty, men, men with good minds. It translates literally men of power, men of strength, men who are brave, men who are competent. Why? This is a, this is a, this is a lot, just in that one word, able. Why? Because this is not going to be easy. This, this is hard Work. The work of the gospel is hard work. Not only are they to be able men, but it says they're specifically to be men who fear God. As I was writing that, I immediately went to Proverbs chapter 9. That what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so wise men are men who fear God. To fear God means what? I am far more concerned about what God thinks than what man thinks. We need people to lead who are far more concerned about pleasing God. In our conference room, where the elders meet and pray regularly and faithfully, is the verse from 1 Thessalonians that says, We speak not, not to please man, but we speak to please God. There's more descriptions here. It's men who are trustworthy. Trustworthy men. They can be trusted. I, I think of, of the idea of, of men who steward well. To, to entrust something into someone else's care. It's what? It's, it's throwing someone the keys and say, hey, lock up when you're done. And not thinking about it. It's not a, it's not a worry. It's not why. Because th this is a trustworthy man. It says, finally, men who, who hate a bribe. Specifically refers to men who you can't put a price on. Men who cannot be bought. The Berean Study Bible translates that verse, verse 21. Select capable men from among the people. God-fearing, trustworthy men who are averse to dishonest gain. You know, as you go down through that kind of verse... Of, of character qualifications, of, of what to look for. You know, it sounds like, it speaks a lot like the character qualifications of men 
of elders and pastors that are spelled out in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and Titus chapter 1. Very similar. As, a, as an under-shepherd of the body at Big Woods, I am most grateful. I am most blessed to be surrounded by the good and godly elders. I was speaking just the week before last on the phone with a, another pastor who also is blessed. And he said, Tim, you know, you understand what it's like to be surrounded by good men. And he was, he was saying, likewise, he said, ministry is a delight. And I agree. I'm thankful not only for just the elders, but I am thankful for all of the people. All of the ministry leaders, all the people of this body who are saying, "What well, we're all in, we're committed. We're, write our name down and you can, you can call on me, you can count on me. And there are literally dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people. I would trust hundreds who willingly and faithfully step up and regularly share the responsibility of serving and of caring and of loving and of giving to so many that are gathered here at this body of believers at Big Woods, but there are also many who care for what? Those in our community. Many people who serve not, not just this body, but they serve the greater community of, of Lock Haven, of Mill Hall, of Castamilla. They step up. I regularly hear people who are giving and serving and loving and offering a piece of themselves, a part of themselves. We don't have a whole lot, but we're going to share what we have. We have two. You can have one. I hear that all the time in these little communities. Of Woolrich and Avis and Beach Creek and Dunstown and Farrensville and Queens Run. Did you realize doing the work of the gospel is sharing in the work of the gospel? This is not one person's responsibility. It's all of our responsibility. Let me ask you this. How are you? How are you doing with this? Matt McDermott. What a beast of a man. I love that man. He, he challenged us last week so well. Did a great job asking, who do you have to come alongside of you? And he asked, who are you coming alongside of? You see, that's the ministry that we're looking for here. And so you, you need to ask those questions and you need to pause and you better have answers to those questions. You better be able to put names of people in those blanks. Who do you have to come alongside of you? And who are you coming alongside of? Number one, Moses accepts wise counsel. We can learn that lesson. Moses adjusts a broken system. Thirdly and finally, Moses enjoys, he enjoys and delights in shared ministry. Let's pick it up in verse 24. <clears throat> so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. And he did all that he had said. 
Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. There, there is such delight. There, there is such weight. There is such value to these words. So Moses listened. So Moses listened. What an example for us as he receives counsel. But what, what he does here is he demonstrates humility. Will you follow his example in the work that God has called you to? I, I know it, I know it, I know it. We've heard this so much recently. We've heard it so much. It seems quite trite. But it, it, is, it, is, it is true. We are better together. We are stronger together. We can accomplish more for the kingdom of God and the work of the gospel together. That is a, a mantra that we just cannot preach loud enough or long enough on. I, I recall going all the way back to May 2011. We had just moved here. Serving as the shepherd here at Big Woods. And the very first kind of series I did, it was actually a mini-series, was based in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm sure it's still fresh on your minds, but in case it's not, I'll just remind you a little bit. Let me read to you. I can't summarize it any better. What the Apostle Paul said, this is what our ministry is to look like. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we, there's that term again, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. You, you do understand what Paul is communicating as he pens his letter to his dear what brothers and sisters, the church of Ephesus. You realize it's the same lesson that we have got to focus on here. Moses gets this and understands this. We all are to attain unity so that we may no longer be children that we are to grow up, that we're joined, we're held together, that each part is working properly. Is that, is that us? 
And we can't even like meet together. We're like gathered and cloistered and in homes and we're separated. No, no, no. Perhaps now for a time, temporarily, physically separated. But are we joined together? Can we be described as a we? Not a him. Not a her. She can do it. No, no, it's not, not that. Remember the, the genesis of our own vision 2020 when we sat and met together as elders and prayed back in 2013. I just read uh, Ed Stetzer's Transformational Church. Spent a lot of time in dialogue. We were greatly impacted by the repeated emphasis of, of what he referred to as moving from the me to we concept. I love that. Years ago, still applies. Matter of fact, that's what we see in Exodus chapter 18. It's moving from the me to we concept. We, we need to remember these things. A healthy community of believers practices shared ministry by having a plurality of elders who are caring for the flock, but also what? A healthy community of believers practice shared ministry by every single member serving, loving, giving, going to one another. Why, 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 why is this why is this so important? Why can't I just, just can't I keep to myself? Why don't I just do my work and you do your work? The, the truth is, effective ministry, that's what we're, we're, we're concerned about. We're not just concerned about ministry, we're concerned about effective ministry. The truth is, the reason that this lesson is, is important is because effective ministry acts and lives and breathes the gospel. You realize that you cannot bear your burden alone. Why? It's just too much. It's just too much. You don't have the stuff to make it alone. I don't care how wise, I don't care how wealthy, I don't care how smart, I don't care how beautiful. Effective ministry reeks of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we cannot bear our burden alone. Thankfully, we know that there is one who can. Oh, I love this. I love these words that Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Knowing that what we are staggering under the weight, the burden of our own sin. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. You see, there was one who came and said, I, I, I see you struggling under that weight. I see you bending over and hunched about to collapse, about to, to wither, about to fall. But there's one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself came, what left? The glories of heaven to come, to, to bear our burden, to bear our weight, to bear our sins in his body on the tree. Why? 
Peter continues on, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You see, when, when, we, when, we, when we model what the ministry of a shared responsibility, we're modeling, in a sense, what Jesus Christ has done for us. Something that we just cannot do. We cannot do. But thankfully, we know that God loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. Doesn't have to crumble and fall under the weight. But we'll have everlasting life. So understand the example that is given here to others who don't know the gospel. Understand that, that when we move from the me to we concept, we cannot bear the, the, the sins of others like Christ can, certainly. But we can show them, we can point them to the only one who can, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfully, he did not just die on that cross, but he rose again three days later. Why? So that we can walk in the newness of life. We understand the importance of modeling what Christ has done for us. Willing to love others, willing to serve others, willing to forgive others. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us. So some lessons, even from what the dry, dead dust of a wilderness that we can actually look at our lives today. We know, and I have repeated it, we are in unprecedented times. We are, we are anxiously awaiting to when what, it gets back to normal. We, we don't really know if it's ever going to be normal again. Therefore, we need to now more than ever before, we need to now more than ever before be looking for, leaning into and listening for ways that we can come alongside one another. We understand that God has placed us here in his providence, in his sovereign providence for a purpose, and I pray that with his strength, we can be an example to those in the community as they look in at us and say, that's, that's how they love. That's how we are to love. May we in our faithful ministry, point others to Jesus who bears our burdens, forgives our sins, and gives us life and life more abundantly. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, I, I thank you so much. I thank you for Moses and for his example, his demonstration of humility. I thank you, Lord, that although we are in very unique times, you... you you're not scratching your head. You're not worried. Father, we should not be either. I just pray, Lord, that um, you would be especially close to us and that you would, you would wrap your strong arms around us and we would feel your presence and be encouraged. Father, that we would be more concerned about the needs of others than our own needs. And then in doing that, we would, we would model the life of Christ. Father, but we need your help. And we ask for your spirit to ignite our hearts to serve you 
and to serve others in a way that you're pleased. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen.